Well, Northside Medina, it's so good to see you guys again today. Before we begin, I just want to make a few announcements. Uh, First of all, Easter. It is just two Sundays away, two weeks away, where we celebrate the risen Savior right here, 10 o'clock at Northside Medina. Jeff, our campus pastor, he has an amazing service already planned out and prepared, so don't miss it. And in the back as you leave, there are two different types of invites. We've got just these uh, regular invite cards that you can take as many as you want. And there's also some fun little Easter eggs that uh, Henry and Brad, they filled with candy and a tiny little slip of paper that has the location and the time for the service here in Medina. So you can take as many of those as well. Uh, It'd be kind of fun to take your neighbors some Easter eggs and that'd be the invite for church on Sunday. And uh, there will also be other services that we offer at Northside Wadsworth, two on Saturday night, three on Sunday morning, as well as our online campus and this one here at 10 a.m. Sunday. So lots of different opportunities to get connected. Also, I'm preaching again today because Jeff is out sick. He got a really bad stomach virus that really just knocked him out. Uh, He's much better than a week ago. He's regaining his strength, but he was just uh, wanted to give it some more time. And then next Sunday, Mr. Brad Starn, who led worship right here, uh, he's going to be bringing the word for us. So we are excited about that. We got two hand claps. Let's go. We can give Brad a hand. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, Jeff and Brenna had already planned uh, to go to Arizona to visit their son, daughter-in-law, and their other grandchild, um, so they didn't want to reschedule that trip. But for today, you got me. Next week, you got Brad, and then Jeff will be back on Easter. So we're going to continue in our series called Empowered, and this is all about the Holy Spirit Uh, helping us to be better followers of Jesus. Our focus today is on how the Holy Spirit empowers us to influence others. So I'm curious, I want to come around with a microphone and I want to ask you guys if you would share just the name of the person that influenced you for Christ, all right? If you want to share that, just raise your hand, I'll come to you. Who shared Jesus with you? Larry Grogan, a military officer when I was in the Army. Okay, awesome. Who else? Steve. Rich Johns, my Sunday school teacher when I was really young. Okay. My Aunt Anna Breckenridge. Okay. Uh, she took me to, school, uh, to Sunday school every Sunday. All right, awesome. Anybody back here? Who shared Jesus with you? Sarah, I'm coming. Tiptoeing through these. Uh, my parents and also Mr. Mark Williams. Okay. Anybody back here want to share? No, no, no. Anybody? Kevin? Debbie. All right, Ms. Starn. No, he wants to share. Oh, who shared Jesus with you? My wife. Oh, your wife did. Hey, there we go. That's awesome. Very cool. Let's give that a hand. Come on, guys. So for me, for me, my granny Poppy was the one that uh, shared Jesus with me initially. Um, so at a Uh, There was a guy in the Bible who you may be familiar with. His name is Paul, all right? Paul wrote half the New Testament, and then uh, he is also the first missionary to the Gentiles. Here, thank you. I didn't think about that thing rolling around. Um, But he's also a big reason why we are all sitting here today. But before he became a Christian, Paul actually went by the name of Saul, But do you know whom the Holy Spirit empowered to influence Saul? 
It was a man by the name of Ananias. At a pivotal time in Saul's life, he was visited and baptized by Ananias. Acts chapter 9 and Acts 22 are where we read those stories. And in fact, those are the only two places that we read about Ananias in the entire Bible. The only time he's ever mentioned is sharing his faith with Saul. Yet his obedience to the Holy Spirit impacted a new convert who in turn changed the lives of millions and millions of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to just break this whole passage down. Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen as well. So I want to set up the story for you. Here's the background. Saul is a powerful leader. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's very educated, he is very well respected in the community, and he is very zealous for who he believes God is. Saul is doing everything he can to oppose the spread of Christianity because he sees Christians as a threat to his normal way of life. He has personally taken it upon himself to have Christians thrown into prison in the hopes that they will be executed eventually thus snuffing out this radical cultic religion that is spreading like wildfire all around Jerusalem. And we see the very first mention of Saul back in Acts chapter 7 when those who stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr, uh, when they stoned him to death, they laid their coats at Saul's feet so that they could throw their rocks a little bit harder. And Luke's wording is very chilling about Saul as he begins Acts chapter 8 verse 1. He says, and Saul approved of their killing him. He stood in approval of their killing him. As you can imagine, news of this stoning spread, which caused Jesus' followers to scatter all about. The Bible says that Saul pursued them like a madman, and he went from house to house dragging out Christian men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, his goal wasn't simply prison. He wanted them to die. Like Hitler, he wanted to exterminate an entire segment of society. So if you would follow along with me, Acts chapter 9, we'll start in verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, now that's what what they called the followers of Jesus, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in Saul's sandals. You doubt the claims of Christians. You see their belief system as a threat to your Jewish faith. You have set out to prove that this man, Jesus, who was crucified, that he was absolutely not the Messiah, and you're going to make sure that everybody knows he is dead, buried, and gone. But to make sure that Jesus' bizarre beliefs die with him, you set out to intimidate the fanatics that believed his story into either recanting their faith or dying, and you're going to leave the choice up to them. You're a man on a mission. Until the day that you're traveling on this road to Damascus and an incredible light from heaven blinds you and it knocks you to the ground. You're stunned. And then you hear a voice from heaven say to you, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Bewildered, you ask, who are you? 
that voice responds, I am Jesus, the Lord, whom you are persecuting. So Jesus himself tells Paul to get up and to go into the city and wait there for more details. And those who were with you, they heard the sounds as well, but they didn't see anybody. There was no one there, but you knew who it was. It was the voice of Jesus the Lord, and once you heard that voice, you would never, ever be the same. Look at verses 8 and 9. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink. So that's the background. Now that you understand the setting, let's discuss two of the obstacles that we often face when it comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit influencing others. There are two obstacles, but this is where the man of the hour, Ananias, comes into the scene. Let's continue in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So if you remember back to last week, Ananias is basically saying, hey, God, hey, hold on, hold on one minute. I don't know that you really know who this Saul character is. I mean, he's a bad dude. Like he is doing everything he can to stop the growth of Christianity. I don't think you want me to go talk to him. In fact, I know it's not your will for me to go and talk and pray with Saul. Right? How comical is that, having that conversation with God? This would be like God sending you today to share the gospel with a modern-day terrorist. Let's say maybe Osama bin Laden when he was alive. That would be crazy. You would be afraid, wouldn't you? But that was Ananias' obstacle. His biggest obstacle was fear. He was afraid to approach Saul. And look at what God tells him next, verse 15 and 16. God says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Go, a one-word command, just like Philip received in Acts chapter 8 when he was told to go visit the Ethiopian in the desert. But while God speaks to Ananias, I also think that Satan was sitting on his shoulder whispering as well. Satan was whispering to him, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. Don't waste your breath. Saul doesn't deserve Jesus. Look at what he said. Look at everything he's done. Satan wants you and I to be judgmental of others. In addition to fear, I think Ananias also dealt with a major obstacle, and that was the enemy's lies. The enemy's lies. You see, Satan is the father of lies. That's what he's described as. And he gets us to believe anything to stop us from sharing our faith and from influencing others for Jesus. 
A number of years ago, researchers took an aquarium and they placed a large northern pike in it. It's a fish uh, that looks like that, really ugly looking fish, right? And every day, these researchers, they fed the fish his favorite food, which was minnows. And for a pike, I guess that's a pretty good existence, right? You're just swimming around in your big tank and you're getting food fed to you all the time. Well, the researchers decided to do a little experiment. And one day, they placed, where'd my plexiglass go? Where? All right, behind the screen. There it is. Okay. One day, they placed a large piece of plexiglass in the middle of the tank. And they separated the minnows from the northern pike. And so, on the day they did this, the northern pike sees through the glass, he can't tell the glass is there, but he sees the minnows. So what does he do? He swims and he runs into the glass. And he swims around in a circle and he runs into the glass again. He keeps running into the glass. But after a while, he gets tired of the pain. He gets frustrated and he eventually gives up trying to get through the glass to get to the minnows. Now, after some time, the researchers, they removed the plexiglass. But do you know what happened to the pike? He died. He starved to death, actually. You see, even though the minnows were swimming all around him, they were bumping into him, they were inches from, away from his snout, he refused to eat any of them because the pike had been conditioned to believe that the fish were no longer available. He had been trained to think that the minnows were not to be touched. You know, there's a lot of things that we get conditioned to believe. Our attitudes and our actions that were modified somewhere along the way because of barriers of fear, barriers of doubt, barriers of insecurity, barriers of pride were put up. Because the enemy, Satan, has lied to us. He has distorted the truth. He has distorted reality. But the truth is this. The Holy Spirit has removed the plexiglass. The Holy Spirit has completely removed the plexiglass. He has taken away every barrier that we put up in order for us to be an influence to others in order for us to share our faith. He wants us to share the gospel with the lost. He wants us to influence others through our words and our actions so that we can make an impact, so that we can live for him a life on fire for Jesus. He has completely removed the plexiglass and all the barriers to influencing others. However, what do we often do? Right? We often like to make excuses when it comes to this, don't we? We'll say, ah, I'm too young. I'm just in high school. I, I don't really know where to start. Or I, I can't share Jesus at my workplace. I'm not allowed to speak of my faith. Or I don't know enough about the Bible yet. Or I, I just forget some of the Bible verses when I'm trying to quote a verse of scripture and sharing my faith with others. Right? The list goes on and on with each obstacle motivated by fear and insecurity and lies. So like that northern pike, we swim around in circles and we go through our life avoiding all the lost people around us who need a savior. 
And if that's you, I just want to encourage you with the words of Paul, this guy that we were talking about this morning. Right before he died, he wrote a letter, 2 Timothy, and he said this. He said, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I want you to read that out loud with me, please. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, the best way that you and I can influence others for Jesus is by serving them. That's what Jesus did. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And we have a great opportunity for you to do that. Every single year at Northside, both here in Medina and at Wadsworth, we do something called Compassion Week. And that's going to begin April 17th. Uh, We've got about 15 different service projects where we need volunteers to go out into the community and do lots of different things. We've also got a whole list because of COVID. Some people don't want to get out. They're not comfortable interacting with other people yet. We've got a whole list of donations that need to be made. If we can purchase those and we're going to give those things to um, places in the community that are in need of certain items. So downstairs on your way out, this little yellow square card uh, is about Compassion Week. Instead of printing out everything because there's so much, we just have a link for you. If you want to go to the website, you can check that out. We'll hear more about it in the weeks to come, uh, different ways for you to serve. And then we do have downstairs that list of donations that we're looking for. There are some printouts there if you'd like to contribute that way as well. So just want to give you a heads up. Compassion Week is coming April 17th, and that's a great way to share our faith with others, a great way, great way to influence others for Jesus. So as we continue to look at Ananias, we see three characteristics that the Holy Spirit uses to influence others. He had some great traits that you and I should imitate as well. And one is this, be credible, be credible. Acts 22 tells us that Ananias was a follower of Jesus and he was a devout observer of the law. Even though he was a Christian, we learned that he was highly respected by every Jew. And when invited by God to have a face-to-face meeting with Saul, this dangerous uh, murderer, enemy, Ananias voices his concerns. He lets God know, hey, I'm not so sure about this. But ultimately, he obeys. He follows the Spirit's lead. And that's what God chooses to use him. So I want you and I to live a life that communicates credibility. Because your witness and your example strengthen the opportunities you have to influence others. Let me say it again. Your witness and your example, it strengthens the opportunities you have to influence others. And if you've had a little bit of a dark or a checkered past, even if you've had a lot of a dark or a checkered past, what I like to say, somebody who spent their whole life building their testimony, all right? If you've had a lot of a dark or checkered past, that doesn't mean that God cannot use you in the future. He absolutely can. He can. But it does mean that we need to start living credible lives for him today so that others see the difference that he has made within us and they will look at that and say, you know what, I want that same thing for me as well. So be credible. Secondly, be obedient. Be obedient. Ananias went to the house. He obeyed. But perhaps as he knocked on that door, I mean, think about it. 
He's walking up to the door. He's heard all these stories of Paul. He's knocking on that door. Do you think his heart was beating just a little bit fast? Do you think his blood may have been pumping a little bit? Oh, yeah, I would have been afraid. But when he walks in the door, he doesn't find a warrior, this uh, Christian imprisoned guy, this, this killer. What does he find? He finds a broken, helpless, repentant blind man. Listen to Paul's personal testimony of what happened next. This is in Acts 22. He, Ananias, stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, Saul, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. So get this. If the Holy Spirit can empower a Christian, Ananias, to have a face-to-face meeting with a murderer who was Saul, what could he empower you to do today? What could he empower you to do today? Parents, could he enable you to begin to see your children as blessings from God instead of interruptions in your life? Employees, could you be empowered by the Spirit to set an example in attitude and in work ethic at your job? Students, could you take a stand for Christ and choose to be distinctive from the rest of your classmates and from the rest of the world in your words and your actions by choosing to refrain from what everybody else is saying and doing? And I know it's hard. It's definitely not easy to walk that straight and narrow path. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And when we choose to do so, God uses us even more in greater ways to influence others for him. So your attitude and your obedience affect your ability to influence others. And the third characteristic that the Holy Spirit uses is this. He wants us to be thorough, to be thorough. Acts 9, verses 18 and 19, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. You see, God wants us to follow all the way through to the end. And here's what I mean. Sometimes in life, we like to stop short of the finish line, don't we? We like to do what we want to do because we think that's enough, but we don't actually fulfill what we're instructed to do. Anybody been there before? Okay, some of us. Let me give you an example, all right? So as a parent, I remind my kids of this all the time. There's a get ready for school process that Bree and I, my wife and I, have established every day that we want them to do, and that's this. Wake up, get dressed, eat breakfast, brush your teeth, Take care of all the animals that we've got, the rabbit, feed the rabbit, the dog, the cat, the fish, the hermit crabs, all these crazy animals. we got like a zoo at our house, right? Take care of all the animals, and then if there's still time, you can get your technology and you can just kind of relax and watch TV or something before we go to school. Like that is the process that we are training our kids to do every day. Now, some days they do awesome. We don't have to repeat ourselves. We don't have to raise our voice and they follow through with it. But some days they refuse, they don't. 
and it's a struggle. So in the church world, an example of this, uh, many denominations, many churches, they stop short when it comes to baptism. They'll say that it's not part of the salvation process. You can do it any time after you uh, say a prayer. Whenever you feel comfortable letting others know that you're a Christian, it's just an outward sign of an inward grace. And what I've learned in ministry almost 15 years now is that it's easy to sometimes say what we want Scripture to say, to bend it to what we want it to say, but leave out what Scripture actually says. It's easy to not be thorough when it comes to this issue. However, if we want to be an Acts 2 church, and you hear us from the stage talk about this all the time, we want to be an Acts 2 church, then we got to be thorough with everything that the New Testament teaches. As you read throughout the New Testament, specifically all throughout the book of Acts, you'll find that in every conversion experience, baptism by immersion was the natural response once somebody believed in Jesus. Immediately after Saul's sight is restored, Ananias doesn't say, Hey, Saul, you haven't eaten in three days. You haven't drunk anything in three days. Let's go to the closest restaurant and get you something to eat. No, he tells Saul this, Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So what does that mean? That means our sins are washed away through the blood of Jesus. It is by grace we are saved. Scripture teaches this happens during baptism. There's nothing magical about the water. It's what Christ does to us in the water through our obedience to him. Let me say that again. Nothing magical about it. It's what Christ does to us in the water as we are obedient to what he says and what he teaches. Saul doesn't try to explain to Ananias why he should wait or why baptism isn't an important part of the process. What does he do? He simply obeys. So, If you, this morning, if you believed for a long time that Jesus is your Savior, if you've repented of your sins already, if you've made a public confession that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but if you've never been immersed, I would ask you the same question. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. We don't have a baptistry here at Northside Medina, but we have one just about 10 miles uh, away from us. So if you need to be baptized today, we will go right after service and we'll go to Wadsworth and we would do that. It would be my honor to have that conversation with you. So if you want to make that decision, then we're going to end in a few moments, but I want you to come and talk to me about that. You see, it's our job to be as credible to be as obedient, and to be as thorough as possible if we want the Holy Spirit to use us to influence others for him. And I want to close by just uh, pointing out three quick observations from this encounter with Saul and Ananias. First of all, we see that God will use you if you're willing. Say it with me. God will use you if you're willing. Even if you're hesitant or fearful, fearful, learn this lesson from Ananias. God used him in spite of his fear, and he can use you too. I believe that it's when you're full of fear that you fully depend on God instead of yourself. When you're full of fear, that's when you fully depend on God instead of yourself. When you feel inadequate as a volunteer to serve in the church. When you're nervous about maybe praying with your spouse. When you stutter as you share with a friend what this church means to you. 
when you forget the Bible verse as you start to share your faith with a coworker. In other words, when you feel that you are at your worst, that's when God is at his best. If you are willing, God will absolutely use you. Another observation, the potential for impacting others is greater than you and I could ever imagine. God may use you to influence the least likely person to accept Jesus as their Savior. Somebody who maybe you watched growing up, you saw all the mistakes they made, you saw the life they lived, you saw how they partied like crazy in college, but somebody shared Jesus with them. Maybe it was you that shared Jesus with them, and their life turned around 180 degrees, and they are on fire for Jesus now. God can use you and impact others in a greater way than we could ever imagine. And that goes back to this whole judgmental thing that Satan lies to us about. He wants us to look at somebody and say, oh, there's no way, there's no way Tim could be a Christ follower today. Did you see what he did and what he said? But no, Jesus is a miracle worker. He is a way maker. He does the impossible. God specializes in doing the impossible. There's a famous quote by Howard Hendricks who said, I've never met anyone who planned on having a mediocre life, but I have met plenty of mediocre people. And that's so true, isn't it? So today I want you to decide that you serve God with excellence, that you won't settle for being a mediocre Christian or for living a half-hearted, lukewarm life for Jesus. He took Saul, a murderer who opposed the faith, and he transformed him into a defender of the faith. To do so, God used an unknown Christian servant by the name of Ananias as a vessel to influence him. And he still works in miraculous ways today. I think it's so amazing as you read throughout Scripture, as you look uh, in your daily life of what can happen when one person follows that prompting, that leading of the Holy Spirit, and God turns that influence into reaching so many other people for Jesus. The last observation is this. Be ready when God says go. Say it with me. Be ready when God says go. You may recall the tragic airline crash near Washington's National Airport back in January of 1982. Now, that was three years before I was born, all right? But I've seen plenty of clips of what took place that day. And for those next couple days, those next couple weeks, as they were trying to figure out what happened, we watched the news replay the footage as Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the Potomac River just 30 seconds after takeoff. The video showed passengers in the frigid water as they struggled to grab onto a life ring that was lowered down to them from a helicopter. That day, 78 people died. Only five survived. One survivor, a woman named Priscilla Torado, was partially submerged under a sheet of ice. She was in shock and she was frantically trying to paddle to the shore. It was so cold, however, she was in such shock that she lost grip of that life ring and she started to sink. The Washington Post wrote this. Although the shoreline was crowded with rescue personnel and this woman's fate was obvious, nobody acted. 
But at that moment, a 28-year-old government errand runner, Lenny Skutnik, who stood watching from along the riverbank, could stand it no longer. And in an interview, Lenny said this. She was close enough to see the expression on her face. I absolutely felt that she was going to die if I didn't jump in and get her. I didn't weigh it. I didn't think about it. I just did it. Lenny jumped in and he swam to the woman, dodging chunks of ice and airplane debris as he pulled her to the shore and to safety. And thinking back on that moment, he said, when the girl needed saving, God looked around and he said, eeny, meeny, miny, and your mo." So I jumped in. Christians often sense that God wants us to be part of something bigger. He wants us to get involved in his kingdom work. He wants us to use our lives as a bright beacon in a dark world. But that can be hard at times because we look around and we think the water's too cold. I'm too afraid. What will they think if I tell them about Jesus? What will this do for my career if I share my faith? There's so many people standing around that are way more qualified, way more educated, way more you fill in the blank than what I am. Why me? But when God taps you on the shoulder, be ready to jump in and go wherever the Spirit leads. The world was astonished at Paul's transformation, his radical transformation, all because Ananias went when God said go. And that caused a ripple effect that continues to today. But you know, that ripple effect began in AD 33 when the only son of God, Jesus, chose to give up his life on the cross. He sacrificed himself so that you and I could have a relationship with our heavenly father. So as we close this morning, I wonder, who is it that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to influence? Who is the Holy Spirit empowering you to influence? Who is it in your life right now, family, friend, coworker, classmate, who needs saving? Not from an icy Potomac, but from a fiery future in hell. We're gonna have just a moment of silence as the band quietly plays, and I just wanna challenge you right now to have a conversation with God. And as you're talking to him, I want you to bring about that one person this week, one person that you can start talking to, that you can share your faith with, one person that you can pull aside and say, hey, I just feel led to pray for you today. So think about that person. Let's talk to God about how we can do that this week. Then we'll sing a song and wrap up.